Welcome to HR Futures Podcasts, brought to you by Expedite HR, the people behind Circal and Working Futures. The series is supported by Zealous, the UK's largest HR and benefits provider. With me today is Angela O'Connor, um, who is currently running HR Lounge and has been doing that for seven or eight years. Prior to that, she was HR Director at the National Policing Improvement Agency, Crown Prosecution Service, uh, Enfield and Hackney. So very much a public sector HR Director. So welcome. Hello, Kevin. How are you? Not too bad. Not too bad. I'm looking forward to talking to you. So why don't we start off by you telling us a little bit about what you do at HR Lounge and why you decided to do your own thing. Okay, well, maybe I'll start off with why, first of all. And I'd been an HR director for many, many years. And I'd always had this niggling feeling that there was a gap in the market. So I could hire somebody from one of the big consultancies and pay an arm and a leg, um, often for not that great products. Or I could go to an independent and usually get a brilliant service for a reasonable price. But if they went under a bus, I was left. So in the back of my mind for many years, I thought, you know, I'd love to be able to connect with an HR service run by HR people, but HR people who've been out there and got their hands dirty and have a track record of success. So that's why I started up the organisation when I had enough of corporate life. Okay, so the decision was you saw the gap in the market, but Mm. also you'd most probably thought, I want to do something different, I want to change. Yeah, and like many HR people, we're really rubbish at looking after ourselves. So I just had this odd feeling going for interviews. I'd been at the MPIA for five years. I'd go for interviews, meet really charming boards of organisations. They'd offer me money to do stuff, but I just wasn't excited. And all of a sudden it dawned on me one day, maybe it's time for something different. So I spent a bit of time thinking things through um, and then decided it was the right thing to do. So jump off the cliff, start something up. And I'd worked in recruitment agencies many, many years ago. So there was was a bit of a fit in terms of... So you had that sort of commercial background. So tell us about what does HR Lounge do? What services do you provide and to whom? Yeah, it's changed over the years. Initially, it was very public sector um, because that's my background. That's where my reputation is. That's where people know me. But over the years, it's grown. And we now have probably, uh, I'd say about a quarter of our our clients are private sector. Um, Very broad in the public sector from policing, health, central, local government, charity sector. Okay. And the sorts of things we do really come under three headings. So the first one I'd classify as development. So that might be running leadership management development. It might be working with HR teams, reviewing what they do. So it's all about moving organisations forward through developing individuals, teams, changing the way things happen. The second thing is is what we kind of call the things that go bump in the night. (laughs) So stuff that goes wrong. Um, so we deal with a lot of investigations, grievances, disciplinaries. We deal with whistleblowing, mediation. And so, uh, and this is when an organisation wants a third party, some independent view yeah. of what's going on. It could be crisis management. I know if my phone rings after ten thirty at night, I'm likely to be in the car yeah. in the dark in the morning, going somewhere <laughs> to deal with something awful. And it, it is for organisations. Most organisations don't have either the cash 
or the ability to have high-level resources constantly within the organisation. They need that objective view. They need stuff sorted quickly. The third element of the business is the coaching and development side for individuals. Um, And that's where I spend a lot of my time coaching individuals and working with boards. Okay. And so, and you said it's changed over the sort of seven or eight years. So where did you start? And, you know, is it, is it moved more towards the coaching or did it start with all the sort of disciplinary and the investigations and then into the development? Just tell us a little bit about the sort of journey. Yeah. Investigations was always quite a big part of the business slowed down a lot when tribunal fees were introduced because I think people took their foot off the gas and thought, excellent, we don't have to do any more work in this area. But of course, all of those complaints and unhappiness got backed up. So we're dealing with all that now. So that's really busy. The coaching side has just grown and grown and grown. Um, And that we don't advertise. So everything we do is on recommendation. Um, we also do quite a lot of development work with organisations who feel just a bit stuck. Yeah, yeah. And rather than have another boring away day, <laughs> you know, another standard management development programme, we'll work with them on what they really want to achieve. So my okay. interest is getting them where they need to be as an organisation based on what their service users and customers want. So tell us about the, the 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 best things about doing what you're doing and potentially the things that are the downside. So I suppose there might be other people out there, senior HR people, thinking at some point I might go and do my own thing. So having done it for seven or eight years, you know, there are bits I'm sure that you love and there are fantastic elements of it. And there are things that I'm sure you miss or, you know, most probably a little bit of a downside. So tell us about the ups and downs of running your own business. Yeah. The ups, no ridiculously long, boring, waste of time meetings. I just don't do meetings. I love it. No boring, process-driven stuff apart from what the government makes us do. Mm. I love that. I can't believe how much time is wasted in organisations by nonsense. I don't miss any of that at all. I love virtually everything about it. I love the relationship we can have with clients by doing really good work because you're not dealing with the nonsense, because you're not dealing with the politics. You You can really enhance the quality of the work. And so I find, like most people who are in this kind of business, you really enjoy working with different organisations. You like the clients, the context, continually doing something different, feeling as if you're making a difference for individuals. I love the flexibility. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I travel a lot. Um, and so I need to be able to shift packages of work. Um, and I love the different people that I meet. There are no downsides. None at all. None. You, do you not miss belonging to an organisation, the social stuff? No, because I've, I've got lots of friends and associates. I mean, I've been around a long time, as you know. <laughs> I have many, many friends and associates. I was at um, Personnel Today Awards the other night, and that was just so lovely to catch up with loads of mates from yeah, yeah, yeah. different organisations. So, no, I have I have many and enough friends. Thank you very much. So, um, tell us about right at the beginning of your career. How did you end up in HR? How did you... Did you set out to be an HR professional uh, or was it something you fell into? I think most of us fall into it. Very few of us wake up and decide to go into HR. I was working in recruitment um, and I really enjoyed that, but... With recruitment, once you've done it and you've got to a certain level in it, it's more of the same. 
So I'd been in recruitment for about five years. Yeah. Um, and it was my mum kept saying to me, please get a sensible job and you should go to the council and you'll get a great pension. And it's anyway, to cut a long story short, a job came up in Haringey Council, which was my local council. And it wasn't HR. This is a long time ago. It wasn't even personnel. It was staffing. Oh, yeah. So I went in and it was actually turned out to be an amazing job. Um and it was once I'd started to learn more about HR, I worked with all the community groups in oh, Harrogate. So they couldn't afford HR advice. So I'd go round and see them individually. The only problem with it is that I just ate so much because every time you went to a voluntary group, they'd say, you're too thin and you must eat. So I'd go to the Asian women's group and they'd feed me. <laughs> then I'd go to the West Indian Centre and they'd feed me. But I had a wonderful time doing that. It was fantastic. And then I realised that I needed to get some qualifications. So I did that. And then gradually I thought... So did you, pro- you progressed that Haringey, yeah? And then yeah. did did you get the head of HR there or did you go to Hackney to, to get that? No, I, the, I had some great opportunities at Haringey. This is when councils would fund people to do qualifications. Yeah. Um, and they were wonderful in that sense. And then I had my first child... And then we had a slight disagreement because they wanted me to come back full time right. three months after my first child. Okay. And I wasn't going to be doing that. So we had a slight disagreement and I went off in a huff to Hackney as a job sharer. Oh, and okay. worked Brilliant. with somebody, this was 30 odd years ago, worked with somebody. That must have been quite rare then, even in the public really sector, well, job sharing. Yeah. That's what the job was, was yeah. building job sharing as a concept oh, I see. and spreading it across the public sector. And my job share partner was a man and he job shared for religious reasons. He wanted to spend his other part of the week um, thinking about and studying his spirituality. Um, And we had a great time. So I loved that. And it enabled me to spend time with my daughter. Um, I didn't do it for that long, probably about a year job sharing. And then another job came up. And we were going to apply as a job share. And then he decided not to at the last minute. And I started looking at the money and thought, you know, (laughs) for a little bit extra time, I could earn double the money. So I did that. But it was a really good experience. And since then, I have been such a fan of job share. Um, And there's still not enough of it. No, I think that's fair. Um, So I suppose one of the things I really wanted to explore with you, because no one else in our first series of these podcasts was from the public sector. So I'd like you to just, you know, perhaps if you can, give us a flavour of the difference or what you see as the difference between HR and the public and private sector. You know, I mean, culturally, they're different. I think Mm. the leadership is quite different quite often. Um, And there is just a different ethos, perhaps. So, again, I'm just interested to explore that and, and get your views and opinions. Yeah, I don't think there is that much difference these days. I think there was 30 years ago. I think there was a huge difference both culturally systems processes i don't see that difference so much certainly not in intent um i've seen some really sophisticated work in both sectors um and the systems are different and the culture is different and the language is different the issues are all the same from an hr perspective managers don't always want to manage (laughs) and people get themselves tied up in all sorts of nonsense um so no i'm i'm not seeing such a huge difference and i think it's unhelpful for people who work in those sectors to assume that they're different. What I see now is people moving between sectors 
And that really works. I love seeing people who've got some private sector experience mm. go into the public sector um, and, and the other way around. It can really work. It's looking at things from a different way, isn't it? It's trying to find solutions to some of the problems that we all face. The only thing I would say with the public sector is the financial underpinning is very short term. Yeah. You're working on a yearly budget um, and that can be very restrictive if you allow yourself to be restricted and you've got the the political dimension so you've got um, members in local government and that's an interesting dimension central government you're dealing with ministers who tend to take a slightly longer term view but no I don't think there's as many differences as people suspect okay um, so now looking back at your career, and I suppose you, you, as we get older, that's one of the great advantages is we've been around a while and done lots of different things. Tell us about the thing that, you know, I think you're, you're, you're proud of stuff, the thing where you think you made the most impact, uh, whatever that may be. And just tell us a little bit about what it was and how you went about it. Um, I suppose the thing I'm proud of, there's lots of things. There's, there's yeah. loads of things. If I had to nail it down, there was something at the CPS. Um, we were really struggling to recruit lawyers because uh, our salaries weren't as good as uh, in the private sector. And people thought they would be damaging their careers, frankly, by coming to the Crown Prosecution Service. And so we wanted to not just find a way to bring in uh, experienced lawyers, which we did, Um, But we also felt there was something about building a longer term proposition. So we spent hours sitting in small rooms thinking, how are we going to do this? Where are we going to find the kind of people who could become lawyers, who are loyal to their communities, who really care? And of course, we realised we had them there all the time. It was our own admin staff. So we started thinking about what if, and this was based on my head of learning and development and my own personal experience, we'd been given educational opportunities through our employers. So Haringey supporting me uh, to do my uh, qualifications. So we thought, what if we were able to introduce a scheme that was at a number of different levels? Um, And we had the most wonderful ministers. We had Harriet Harman and Mm. Lord Goldsmith, who really backed us on this. And we introduced a scholarship scheme a legal scholarship scheme where people could come in. Some people had only an O-level. They could enter at that point. Others had a degree that they could transfer. Others had some experience. So it was a multi-entry point. What was brilliant about that was it really started to change the nature and the face of the judiciary in this country. Um, And so we brought people in who had never had any expectation of becoming lawyers. Mm. Um, And we ran that over to set it up, took about three years. And we were lucky enough to get Downing Street for a launch party one summer evening. And that was amazing to see people uh, who had really progressed. But even more than that, to go into court and watch people, I'd seen at the start of the scheme, start to uh, prosecute cases. It was wonderful. So, And that had long-term impact and really made a difference, so that I'm really proud of. Okay. Um, so let's go to the other side of that question, really, then. So with hindsight, when you look back, you know, perhaps the things that you learnt from, the things that didn't go well, you know, call them a mistake, but I think, you know, we all make mistakes, that's part of life. Tell us about the thing that you go, you look back and go, mm, I wish I hadn't have done it that way, that yeah. just didn't, you know, I've, you know, 
Tell us a little bit about that. So many. <laughs> so many. I could be here all day. I suppose th- there's really two things. One is I would sometimes get emotionally invested in things where I couldn't make a difference. So knowing when not to waste time in okay. areas that I couldn't So give control. us an example of that. Oh, I'd get really wound up about if we were doing, uh, you know, a big reorganisation and finance weren't pulling their weight. Okay. And I'd be ranting about, you know, just stuff that you get involved yeah. in that you can't change. Yeah. I think that I would have done differently. So how did you learn? What did, you know, what happened over time? Did someone give you some feedback or did you just... Oh, I've had a lot of feedback. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know, failure. I'm interested in, so mm. was it something, you know, did you have an epiphany one time? You went, oh, actually, I'm just wasting my time and energy trying to change stuff that... I think watching other people, and I've always learned a lot from observing others, and I'm really interested in people and what they do, and mm. I've worked for some wonderful people. And sometimes watching them, knowing that they were passionate about something but they just didn't throw their emotions around the room and they were still successful and they still got where they needed okay. to be. So I learned, and I learned by making mistakes and making other people cross and getting feedback. <laughs> I was young, you know, and we yeah, all yeah. learn as we get older. But I don't know if I'd change those things because I still think, you know, those are the things that have made me the person I am today. Yeah. It was all part of yeah, yeah. growing resilience yeah. and maybe becoming slightly more sophisticated in the way I approach things. And you said there was a couple, so that was one. Was there yeah. another one? Yeah, there were a couple of times. I think when we had to get rid of people um, and like many managers in the early days, again, I was too invested in my own emotions when I was yeah. doing it. And I learnt over time and none of that was about me. I had to just get over it. It was about them. And once you detach yourself from that, not in a negative way, but once you understand it's all about the other person and you can step back and you can get over yourself, yeah, yeah. um, yeah, it can really change things. So I think those are the sorts of of things that, yeah. Okay. Um, It's like confession, this, isn't it? Yeah, it it is a little (laughs) bit. I mean, again, I'm I'm, I'm keen. So one of the things I suppose I am interested in is, I mean, you talk about what you're doing at HR Lounge, often doing restructurings, helping organisations think about their organisational design and stuff. Um, And I'm sure you did a lot of that as an HR director, which is, you know, getting the right sort of culture, processes, structures in place. So tell me a little bit about whether you think HR have the skills and should be playing a central role in this because I suppose we've asked, I've asked this question of many people and I think most people say yes we should be but perhaps we're not as good as it as we could be but I'm interested in your view so I suppose the question really is should HR be leading organisational transformation? I would say not necessarily it depends on a number of things for me one is the context what is the change that you're trying to yeah. make What's the objective behind it? But also you don't do it on your own. You need a multidisciplinary team to do change really, really well. I like working hand in glove with communications, for example. They're a key part. But also finance, being able to access resources to make changes. I just don't think it's for either finance on their own or (laughs) HR on their own to set off on this merry little jaunt and then try and recruit people. Organisations don't work with single functionality in terms of delivery. So why should we 
do that in times of change and transformation. Uh, but you do think that HR should always be involved. So again, being a counterpoint perhaps to finance, who may often see change in one dimensional view. And there are times when you think HR should be leading or could be leading. It, it depends on the HR team. Yeah. It depends if they're any good. And you, you will get HR teams where their skills and the context come together really, really well, and they are ideal to lead it. You, you know, I've worked with a lot of organisations where HR are absolutely not the right people to lead transformation, particularly if they've not transformed their own function. You can't get out there and show people how to do things differently no. if you don't do it yourself. So tell me a bit about what you think the skills are. So again, so, so say you were going in as HR Lounge and one of the questions is we want to do, I don't know, transformational programme, we want to change the structure, ways of working. And you're looking at the HR function. So what are you looking at? You know, what, what's good and what's perhaps not so good? So, you know, if you were making a decision and going back to perhaps a chief exec and saying, I think your HR director and his team should lead this mm. and involve others, or actually I'd keep them, you know, I'd keep them part of it, but I wouldn't get them to lead it. Yeah, sometimes it's some very simple questions with HR, asking them questions around transformation. If they start with process, then they are not the right people. If they start with the business and they've been out there in the business getting their hands dirty and they have credibility in the business, yeah. they probably are. Those are the, the things that I'd, I'd be looking for because it's not about a process intervention. It's about a real understanding of the business. It's a real understanding of the line of sight between the interventions that HR can lead and the direct impact on the business. Absolutely. And you can, you can see that. You'll see that when you go into organisations. It doesn't take long to know what you're working with. And there are some HR teams that are amazing and others, you're just not going to put them And what's the difference makers. between the two? In your view, you know, great HR team, not so good HR team. What's the differentiator? What is it normally that... Yeah, I was at a dinner a couple of weeks back with a load of really fantastic group HRDs mm. from a whole range of, of sectors and um, I brought somebody to that dinner who works in HR but doesn't have an HR background. And I was really interested in his perspective after the dinner. And I said to him afterwards, so what did you hear that interested you? And he said, nobody mentioned HR. He said they just all talked about their businesses yeah. and they all understand their business to the nth degree. There was no mention of HR, HR practices, HR processes. And that's it. It's about the business yeah. What HR bring is within the framework of the business. Um, and so I, I'm always looking for that in organisations. And I do find it. But mm. I also find HR teams that are stuck in the past, in the HR process. The HR process drives Policies, everything. Policies, processes oh, and procedures. Yeah, makes yeah. you want to tear your hair out. Okay. So one of the things I'm, I, I, I'm really interested in is, you know, I think HR functions get busier and busier every year. We try and do all that we did last year and a couple of new things as well. Um, and one of the things that differentiates a great HR function from perhaps an average one is the ones that can make the trade-offs that recognise the things that are going to make impact and the ones that don't. So in your mind, you know, what should HR be really focusing on and what perhaps shouldn't they be? It very much depends on the context. Yeah, yeah, I've I gone into organisations where I've had to do everything with the team yeah. because the service is at a low level. So you have to get very involved in some of the basics like recruitment and payroll because it's not very good. Yeah. 
And it's also quite good to do that, to understand how they function, what they cost, what they do well, what they don't. But ultimately, a lot of that can go to other people who are better suited. I like using people who are experts in their own field. So I have no problem at all in having lots of people delivering services. But the key is I have to understand the service first. I have to understand everything about it. I have to be able to check how it's working with customers. Mm. But I'm really happy having customer services. People run parts of the business, uh, you know, outsourcing Mm. certain things. It doesn't matter to me who, it matters to me what's the quality, what's the cost, what's the delivery. Okay, I mean, uh, I sort of get that, and I think you're right, it is about context. Um, So what do you think is HR's biggest failing? What does it get wrong? You know, you look at it all the time, like I do as a profession, as a as a community and there are loads of things we get right so you know i think you know i think we're progressing i think we're getting better i think we're up in our game but i have a lot of frustrations and i suspect you do as well so what do you think's the failing what's the thing that we keep doing wrong or we we really need to think differently about yeah i think hr forgets sometimes that its job is sales that you're trying to sell ideas you're trying to influence people And you can only do that if you have a real understanding of what's going on in their heads. And I've seen too many HR teams try to push things that are a bit faddy, that are the flavour of the month things. We must have this. We must have that. None of that is relevant. It's about the context. So I like people and the people I see who are really successful are emotionally intelligent. They understand their business and everything else that they bring from their HR toolkit comes after that. So there's something about getting the timing right, the progression right, but really Mm. understanding the business. Where I think HR teams can go wrong is if they stop learning. And that's where I get really frustrated and disappointed if I go in to an HR team and they're not learning, they're not educating themselves, they're not curious, they're not going to other organisations. They think that all learning is within the four walls of their organisation. I mean, I think you're absolutely right. I think we, I think um, it is about learn. It is about development. So what is it? Uh, why do some HR people progress and keep learning and keep developing and others don't? What is it? Is it, is it the individual? Is it just their spark, their curiosity? Or is it getting the right support, the right mentor, someone that shows them how it can be different? You know, I'm interested in this because I think there's going to be a lot of people listening to this podcast sort of in their mid-career that are thinking about you know I've been in HR for a few years should I stay with it well how do I grow how do I become better how do I become an HR director for some it's about their preference a natural preference but for others it's very much about having someone give them a bit of a boot up the bum or permission to keep on learning and permission to keep on growing because people get stuck in a bit of a rut They're getting up, they're going into the organisation, their lives are complex and difficult and there isn't enough time. Everyone says that, there's not enough time. But we've all got the same 24 hours and sometimes working with somebody to restructure that a little bit and also understanding what people's aspirations and dreams are. What do they want out of life? If they keep on just doing the same stuff, they're never ever going to get what they want and that means not just hard work, But learning, curiosity, trying different things, connecting with other people in different sectors, in other businesses, in other parts of the world, that's what will make a difference. 
Okay, on that really uh, quite useful and I think insightful view about what HR people need to be doing different, we're going to take a couple of minute break. We'll be back for the second part of this podcast with Andrew O'Connor, who is the founder and chief exec of HR Lounge. Back in a moment. Are you looking to reduce risks and operating costs or increase your agility and capacity? There's more pressure than ever for HR and finance to provide strategic value for the business and for CEOs. At Zealous, our expert team creates software and managed services that handle your entire payroll and HR admin processes. We believe there are two sides to the employee experience. The fundamentals that need to go unnoticed and experiences that employees really care about. And we can help you master both. We're here to make the complex simple freeing you up to focus on your people and achieve your goals. Find out more at zealous.com. Welcome back to the second half of this HR Futures podcast. With me today is Angela O'Connor. In the first half of this podcast, we talked a lot about her choice to set up HR Lounge, uh, which is a consultancy coaching organization that she runs. Um, we also talked a lot about the difference between public and private sector, some of the things that make HR successful and some of the things that perhaps we need to think about if we want to add more value. So um, tell us a little bit about if a young person comes to see you, Angela, and said, I'm thinking about a career in HR. You know, perhaps they've been at work a couple of years. What advice would you give them? What would you be saying to that individual and how would you you know how would you construct giving them some personal advice I think I'd probably say to them don't start in HR because I think HR is a profession that works with other parts of the business and so you need to understand the business Um, and I always think it's a bit of a worry if someone goes straight from university into an HR role they've never touched anything they've never been out there so I'd say get out there into the business try a number of different things go on a graduate scheme if they've they've got a degree there's some fabulous graduate schemes where you can work in all parts of the business and then go into HR later Um, but yeah I'd, I'd say start with something else I mean, one of the things I suppose I'm interested in is I'm not sure that HR gets the brightest and the best. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know... Well, I mean, you mean apart from us? Apart from us too, yeah. <laughs> no, but I do think that, you know, if you think about it, you know, we've got to compete for talent against finance and marketing and sales and operations. And, and you know, and why is that? Why do we not attract the brightest and the best? Well, firstly, you might agree or disagree with me, but why don't we attract the brightest and the best? Well, I I do disagree with you because I think we can do, but I think it's really down to the hiring skills of the leader in terms of bringing in the right people and not being swayed by, you know, reams of fancy qualifications because that doesn't always tell you anything. I like people who've got something about them. I like people who want to make a difference, who've got some energy about them. So I think it's up to us. We get what we recruit you know, we, we get the teams that we deserve. We can make the changes. So I think there are loads of brilliant people out there, um, but so, we have to go and look for them. Yeah, so this sort of brings us back to the HR leaders role, yeah. isn't it, really? So, again, you know, 
I think you're right. You know, I'm not sure. I'm being a bit provocative, I suppose. But I do think, you know, if I said, you know, is HR full of people that there's something about them that are full of energy and want to make a difference? I'd go, well, there are some. Absolutely. In fact, perhaps there's a growing percentage. But I still think we've got some way to go. Yeah, I do think we have some way to go. But I'd say the same about any other profession. There's a real mix of people. I look at my team's over the years and I think about what I had to do to get brilliant teams yeah, yeah. and I had to make really tough decisions yeah. and I had to make them quickly and that meant I had to let people go early on into going into new organisations because if you don't have the right attitudes and skills in HR you can't make any change but it was also about bringing in the right people when I set up my first HR business partner team which is going back to the early uh, 2000s, um, I recruited a number of people who hadn't worked in HR before. They'd worked in other parts of the business, but they really had such a good understanding of not just how businesses worked, but what made people tick. We could add on the HR qualifications. No, I think you're absolutely right. So that's the, you know, I think the people are there. There's talent, but you have to look for it and you have to nurture it and you have to develop it. Yeah, and you have to go out there. And I think you're right. You've got to be brave in terms of perhaps managing people out. And then you've got to take some chances, haven't you? And you've got to pay them well. I always paid more than the market rate because I expect a huge amount from people and I want them always to feel good that they've landed a brilliant job that pays really well, but they're going to work for it. They are really going to work for it. And it is really about investing in their long-term career. It's not just about there's someone in my team and they can deliver for me. I want to know where they're going to be in five years, in 10 years, what they're going to be doing. And that longer-term perspective allows you to really work with some of the brilliant people. And again, I suppose the way that I'm sure this is true, but when you look back at the people that have worked for you, I'm sure many of them have gone on to do bigger and better things. Yeah. Yeah, and that's it always makes nice, me so it? happy. And so many of them are also now really close friends. Yeah. And, I, I, you know, they're the people that I see a lot. I'm so proud of them and what they've done, the incredible jobs they've got, the you know, the lives that they have. And, um, yeah, I'm really proud to have worked with so many absolutely brilliant people. So I want to change tack now. I want to move a little bit away from HR and what it does and, and, and talk a bit about... You know, what's going to happen to businesses in the next 10, 15 years? I mean, there's huge talk about disruption, predominantly caused by technology, machine learning, AI. Um, And I suppose I'm interested in what do you think that means for organisations and what should HR be thinking about now? How does it get in front of that change? Because I think there's clearly a huge amount, you know, we're on a cusp of the fourth industrial revolution, if you read what some of the futurologists are saying. I think it's really exciting. I am really excited by the changes that that we see. And I think the danger for HR is to worry that they don't understand it all um, and that they can, you know, self-esteem goes down. Yeah, yeah, think, yeah, we, don't, yeah. we don't get it. We don't get it. We don't know what these young people are doing, running around with all these new approaches. You don't have to. The issue is always the same. What is the interaction between the organisation, its customers, its service users? And many of the things that are coming in are methodologies of delivery. It's always changed. You know, things are different every year. It's faster now. Yeah. So I think HR have to be really focused on talent and knowing where the right talent is to work in very different types of 
environment. My son works in advertising and gaming. You know, all those years I spent yelling at him to get off the bloody, you know, games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's now he makes his career through that. It's really exciting. It's really fun. And the point for HR is you can go out and find these people. You don't need to know absolutely everything about it, but you do need to understand some of the impact. And there is some new things that are coming in, which is if people are working more remotely, if organisations are structured differently so that you don't come together physically. as What difference does that make to how people feel, how they perform? What will support them? What gets in the way? So there's some learning there. And there are lots of countries who are more developed than we are. So get out there, have a look, see what they're doing, learn from others. But it's it's a fun time. It's an exciting time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Now, again, you know, following on from that, I suppose I want to explore leadership and coaching because I know you spend a lot of time working in that space at the moment. So, so, So I suppose, you know, one of the things that I know you did when you set up the business, you went off and got yourself a coaching qualification. And I think you said personally, you spend more time doing that than some of the other activity that the business delivers. So tell me a bit about why, you know, why choose coaching? Why go into that space? And then a little bit about, I don't know, what you got from the qualification and stuff. And just perhaps tell us, without obviously naming names, a couple of things, you know, really great success stories of where you've made an intervention and it's made an impact. I got interested in coaching uh, years ago when I was at the CPS, um, when my job was so busy, my personal life was so busy, and I felt overwhelmed a lot of the time. And I was saying to a friend of mine, I just can't bounce my ideas anywhere it's really difficult because some of these things are about me and my development I just don't feel I have a space and they said I know someone who will be great for you she's a coach you should meet her I'd met a few coaches Hmm. before um, and they'd been a bit too therapy or a bit too instructive I wasn't interested I met this woman she was amazing and it was so wonderful to have somebody who could be objective who could say, perhaps there's another way of looking at this. Um, And I got so much from that working relationship with her over a number of years. It helped me so much. Again, it was something that was always there. Um, I did the qualification and like any qualification you do, there are bits of it that you think, this is really interesting. And other bits you think, oh my goodness, what is this? Was that writing dissertations and all that sort of stuff? That bit I hated, I hated the writing essay after essay. It just seemed like a bit of a waste of time. But I did it because you have to get the certificate at the end of it. And I did learn a lot, but I learned more from the kind of going off tangent a bit and the practical. So it's something I love now because the investment is in other people. And I find it's the most rewarding part of my career now, seeing other people achieve what they want to achieve and spending time with people who are maybe hitting a wall. So it could be somebody who is moving up from a technical role to a a board Mm. level strategic role and just don't know how to let go of all the things that they've done that have created success for them. They're thinking, what is this big strategic thing I'm supposed to be doing? Um, I also work with people who've gone through something very difficult. So we will work with people who've been disciplined uh, people who've had a crisis, uh, all sorts of things like that. People who might have been off work for a long time, being ill and they're coming back to work. 
So we work with them to try and help them get into a position where mm. they're ready to go back. I've also got a team of actors and we use the actors to work with people on executive impact, presentations, interview skills, all those sorts of mm. things. Um, and it is great fun. And the clients are just wonderful. Um, and if I give you an example of uh, one case, I had somebody who'd gone through a disciplinary process and they were very, very angry with the organisation. And the organisation rang me up one day and said, look, this guy isn't going. The penalty was short of dismissal. He is furious and he's not working well and he doesn't know if he, he's just becoming very disruptive. Will you see him? I said, yeah, sure. And it was great when he came in, he threw himself into the chair, slammed the door and said, I don't want to be here. So I said, okay. Oh, so he'd been told to He'd go, been told yeah. to be coached, which is quite ridiculous. Interesting but I said, stuff. well, you don't have to. If in, let's spend half an hour together having a coffee. If at the end of it, you want to go, go. I won't even tell the organisation that you've gone. And we went on to have a really productive number of sessions because for him, it was about needing to get to a bit of acceptance about the reality of what had happened. There wasn't, he wasn't a victim in this. He'd done something stupid. He paid the price for it. But, you know, it wasn't the end of the world either. It no. was time for him to pick himself up and go on to something else. And at the end of a number of sessions, he felt ready to do that and even wrote a really nice letter to his chief exec a kind of I'm at peace sort of letter. So that was really important. But I also get a lot of joy from when people are able to get rid of some of their self-limiting beliefs, go on, get senior roles. I'm really excited when what they get see, the jobs what, they go what for. What do you see, you know, in terms of self-limiting stuff, what do you see most often? Imposter syndrome. So tell me a bit about that. So this is something that people assumed was a female issue, that, you know, women are just keeping their heads down, waiting to be noticed and not feeling worthy. In my experience, it's not. It applies to men equally. It's really about people not recognising their own self-worth, their own talent. And sometimes we have to go back with them to look at what they've done over the years and look at their track record of success and look at all the things that they've achieved. And sometimes really work with them on the negative critiquing they're doing inside their head every minute of every day. Um, and we can make a difference. We can really make a difference in terms of that. And that, that's great fun to help people move past their own destructive head stuff. I mean, do you think everyone should have a coach? No, some people are uncoachable. Ooh, tell me about that. <laughs> so who's uncoachable? <laughs> I've met a few. Um, people who just believe they have all the answers, that yeah. they've always had the answers and that they... I, I met a consultant uh, once. We were doing some 360 feedback and it was, frankly, the worst 360 feedback I have ever seen in my entire life. It was really bad. Um, but he was of the view that everybody else was wrong uh, he was right and they were all out to get him. And we spent some time going through it. And I'm objective. <laughs> I'm totally objective. For me, the value is in him starting to look at different perspectives. Yeah, yeah. Um, but by the end of it, he was just still convinced every, everyone was out to get him. And, you know, coaching was a waste of time. And for him, I agreed. It absolutely was. OK. Um, start to tell us a bit about... I don't know what you're going to be doing in the future. Are you going to continue doing HR Lounge? Uh, I mean, what does the future hold for Angela and your business? Yeah, I love it. I, I still want to carry on doing it. I'm very flexible about the way I work. 
I like to do other things as well. So like as walking long as, the dogs and oh, spending time in Italy. Yeah, and getting up early with the puppy. Um, but yeah, as long as I can do work that I love, I have to do work that interests me. I have to work with people that I find interesting. Um, so as long as I'm doing that, yeah, I'll carry on working. It's changing every year. I get interested in other things I get asked to do some very interesting things oh, so, give us an example of something different you're doing at the moment um I did uh, something with a company recently which was a bit of crisis management I can't talk about the details because don't want them identified uh, but we had to deal with some something very difficult that happened in the workplace and the people who were left behind after this very yeah. difficult, difficult scenario and again it was working with people to help them build resilience so that was fascinating to work with them not just on an individual level but on group resilience that was that was new for me and that I found fascinating so every year I like to be doing something different okay tell us a bit about Angela the person so what do you do outside of work where you know tell us where your inspiration comes from what your you know, what gives you joy? I'm sure it's going to be family, but tell us a bit about music, theatre, travel. What is it? Sport? What is it that, yeah, it's you know? Yeah, it's not that one. Can <laughs> it's not well, sport. It's not sport. Okay. It's not sport. Um, as you know, I was up at five this morning with my puppy. I've got two dogs. I adore them. I'm a recent dog owner. I've had to wait years to be in a situation where I'm more flexible with my time so I can have dogs. And I adore my dogs. So I love traveling with the dogs. I love being outside with them. They're just gorgeous. I've got two gorgeous children and a lovely husband as well. So family is big. It's very big on my agenda. Uh, Travel is important. We are in Italy part-time. So I tend to be in Italy four or five days a month and then for much longer periods at other times of year. And then I like to do big trips. Last year was India. Uh, South Africa is coming up. We love traveling. Theatre, music, um, books. I am just obsessed with books. I go to book fairs. I travel all over the place. Um, I just read every single day. I love so, to read. Tell, tell me about, I don't know, what do you read? Do you read factual stuff or It's a mix. Novels? I, it's a whole mix. I like crime is, is mm. a big part. And I think because I had so much fun, it was like everything came together when I went to the Crown Prosecution Service because the genre of my choice is crime. And then I went there and I was beyond excited that we were dealing with real-life crime. Yeah. People who weren't there couldn't get why I was so excited, but I thought it was wonderful. Policing, equally the same. I thought it was just so fascinating. So do you like procedural stuff? You know? I know, I like, I like the head stuff. I like uh, understanding why people do things, the psychology. So tell me about some of the authors that you really like or people you look out for. Oh, I like kind of psychological thrillers like okay. Nikki, Nikki French, yeah, uh, yeah, Sophie yeah. Hannah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I love, I am a Poirot addict. Oh, really? I love everything to do with Poirot. Yeah, I'm obsessed. See, I like, I, I, I like the others that you mentioned, but I'm not a great Poirot fan. Oh, I'm not a great I love Agatha Christie. Oh, and, and that's, I love Poirot. Poirot is wonderful. Mm. But then I read other things. I've just finished reading Malcolm Gladwell's oh, latest book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really good. good. It's, it's really good. It's really it's interesting. talking to strangers or something, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. At the end of it, I was searching a little bit for the common thread. Yeah. I got a little bit lost, but I yeah. loved the book. Yeah. And... Um, I also read another interesting book recently, The Coddling of the American Mind. Okay. 
which is all about students and safe spaces yeah, and yeah. non-platforming. I love things like that. I find that really interesting. Yeah. So I read all the time, and it's a real mixture of fiction I like, uh, biographies. Um, Go on, so give much. us a great one. Give us one. Well, no, I'll tell you what's on my list. On. There is a three-part series on Margaret Thatcher. Yes, that's by, had, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't remember who it's by. It's got great reviews. Yeah, it has. Now that's Sheldon. The, yeah, yeah, that's Andrew it, Sheldon. Sheldon. Yeah. So that's the kind of thing. I'd get all three and start and work my way through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I also like all the kind of Nordic, noir. Oh, right. Joan Nesbo and all of that stuff. Yeah, yeah, love that. And also, you know, people that are less well-known. Yeah, yeah. I love going back to the start of their, their uh, writing and then going all the way through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I have... So many books yet to read. So I nearly always have about 60 or 70 books waiting to be read. Mm. And it's it, if I had an addiction, that would be it. It's my Amazon and Waterstone habit. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not dissimilar, actually. Um, Could be worse. Do you know Reggie Nadelson? Have you ever read any of hers? Reggie? Nadelson. No. Have a look at that. You'll like oh, those. I will. Yeah. I will. Yeah. Um, so I think that brings us to an end of our podcast. Um Thank you for spending some time with us. I think you've given us some really interesting insight around what HR needs to focus on. I think uh, in particular, I like the piece around the coaching because I think that is, you know, a discipline uh, or an opportunity for organisation to develop levers to and to, to resolve problems that sometimes organisations and individuals get very stuck So I think you do need interventions. And I think having people like yourself that have been there and done it and have got the skills and capability is most probably something that I think you'll most probably be busy till the end of your time (laughs) doing that because I think it's a a fantastic opportunity to make breakthroughs and to develop people. So thank you for spending the time with us. I've enjoyed it and I think our listeners will have as well. Thank you, Kevin. It's been a pleasure.